Hello, and welcome to The Board Table, a podcast from the North Carolina School Boards Association. I'm Leanne Winner, the Association's Executive Director and your host. Our goal for this podcast is to equip North Carolina School Board members with the tools and knowledge they need to govern successfully. It's also an opportunity for school administrators, community members, and parents to learn more about current issues in public education, as well as best practices for effective school board members. On this episode of The Board Table, we are joined once again by the NCSBA Governmental Relations Team. They will be discussing the Senate budget proposal and the major differences between it and the House budget proposal. Now joining us are NCSBA's Director of Governmental Relations, Bruce Mildwarf, and NCSBA's two Assistant Directors for Governmental Relations, Madison Skeens and Rob Black. Let's listen in. Thank you, Leanne and Rob, Madison. Thank you for joining me on this, what will be a very interesting discussion about state budgets. Glad to be here once again. We got house good, and so now it's time for the, the Senate. Yep, and, uh, and we're really going to dive into the comparisons. Uh, as Rob mentioned, the House went first. They released their budget the end of March. The Senate uh, released theirs mid-May. And when you take a look at the two, and we're going to focus on K-12. When you look at the K-12 education budgets, the House has allocated $900 million more than the Senate. And uh, looking at just salaries and the difference there, uh, that is $360 million, uh, with the House spending more than the Senate. $360 million, that, uh, that, that's a lot of money. Guys, when, when you look at the average of the teacher pay scale in the two budgets, how does that roll out? How does that differ? Yeah, I mean, so the teachers in the Senate budget are getting an average 4.5% increase as compared to in the House, where they have an average increase uh, of just over 10%. In the House budget, all teachers start with with 7.5% across the board. Yeah, minimum 7.5%. Right. So the House seemed to focus on recruiting and retaining, and the Senate seems to focus more on recruiting. And I think the reason for that is if you see the numbers in the Senate's budget proposal, they primarily invest in a significant raise for beginning teachers rather than higher across the board raises like the House does. Um, and beginning teacher pay in the Senate's proposal is set to increase from 37000 to 41000 over the next two years. And if you compare the Senate's proposed salary schedule for 2023-2024, to last session's teacher salary schedule, which is the one that is currently in place, the increase for teachers with 14 years or more of experience is only $20 a month. Yeah, I, I think we that, that's an important point to hit on, that when you look at the veteran teachers, uh, the veteran teachers in the House budget uh, in year one are making over $2,200 for year one, and then in year two, uh, it's over seventeen hundred. And you you look at the Senate budget, 
he mentioned $20 a month. So that's $200 a year for year one. But year two is just 50 bucks, $50 as a raise in year two of the budget. So, you know, we had, we had mentioned that the, the baseline, the minimum was seven and a half percent in the House and in the Senate, it's less than one percent. But after the, the House includes their step increases, the average raise is 10.2 percent. Yes. Yeah. And it's not just so, you know, we were focusing on teachers. If you look at all positions, all the other positions in the House, again, that it is over the two years, seven and a half percent increase. Compare that in the, in the Senate, it's two and a half percent per year, bringing a total of, you know, is it five percent? Five percent. Yeah. And, and so it, it's cafeteria staff, bus drivers, construction workers, principals, uh, all the non-teachers, the Senate gives them a whopping 2.5% each year. Whereas in the House, all those same people get 4.25% uh, in the first year and 3.25% in the second year. But also to help with our bus driver shortage problem, the House is giving bus drivers an extra 2% raise and the Senate has chosen not to do that. Yeah, so 9.5% for bus drivers. Big difference from, as, as we've discussed in, in the prior podcast, uh, the issue with bus drivers has reached a, a critical point. I mean, we, we are facing a crisis where uh, daily routes are not being run and teachers are either uh, teachers parents are having to figure out how to get their kids to school how to pick them up after, you know figure out how to pick them up after school um and you know we have more than five thousand teacher vacancies more than eleven thousand you know all when you look at all of school employee vacancies pay is one way to address that issue. That's right. And to help with the mental health crisis, the Senate proposal is allocating $10 million in recurring funding to add roughly 120 nurses, counselors, social workers, and psychologists across the state. And that's um, where the districts would get the flexibility to determine which one that's right. yes. they get. And it's 120 total statewide. That's right. Okay. And also, as part of that, what was the school psychologist allotment is now the school mental health personnel allotment to help the LEAs pay for these professionals across the board. That's right. That uh, was some flexibility that the districts were seeking and um, glad that, and this is in both budgets. Right. The House and the Senate. So typically when there is agreement with their proposed budgets, it's often a done deal. Not always, but it's good to know that 
For the most part, we're thinking that we can count on at least 120 additional positions. And then on the school capital front, for the needs-based public school capital fund, uh, both the House and Senate budgets increased the maximum grant awards. So for an elementary school where it was up to 30 million, now it's 40 million. Uh, the middle school also went up 10 million to 50 million, as did the maximum for high school. It is now up to 60 million. So uh, with the, the rate of inflation and just costs going through the roof, no pun intended, maybe it was, um, th that's uh, a, a nice help there uh, when it comes to being able to complete a, a school construction project. Well, and, and speaking of inflation, <laughs> the Senate is really trying to, to assist families that need the help uh, in paying for school lunch and school breakfast. They, they, they have appropriated $9 million over the two years for DPI to do co-pays that will essentially make reduced price lunch free. Yeah, so, so it'll be instead of free and reduced, it's just free and free. Right, free and free, right. Um, in contrast, the, the House chose to attack that same problem by appropriating uh, $7.8 million for school meal debt. Yeah, I don't know if it's the same problem. It's probably a different problem that they just decided to um, address. And uh, so that was, it was the Senate that was the free and free. And the Senate... At the same time, you know, we hear a lot about the lack of uh, school supplies and uh, well, for that allotment, the Senate is putting in uh, $12 million over the biennium. It is uh, 10 million that is not recurring in the first year with 1 million recurring. And so that second year, it's just the 1 million, but over the two years, it's 12 million and uh, the Senate also um, has heard uh, the re requests for a need for more safety funds for school safety and the safety grants and the Senate over the biennium uh, is allocating 70 million that's 35 million a year compared to the House's uh, budget which had 40 million over the two years and um, both still uh, non-recurring. Now, as we go through all of these key differences, it's worth noting that, that there are some things that, that the House did that the Senate chose not to do, and, and, and we like this. I'll start off with uh, the House had a provision. And when you say we like it, we, we like that the Senate did not include it. Didn't do it, exactly. Yes. We like that that the Senate did not include the House's provision on um, academic transparency. Uh, but we like it. We like transparency. I mean, we're all for transparency. In general, yes. But, but this uh, specific provision uh, makes LEAs duck through several hoops 
to post all of their curriculum by uh, June 30th of, of each year. Yeah. And there's also a section in the House's budget that seeks to modernize the selection of instructional materials. And there are various requirements for local boards of education associated with this. Rob, what are a few of those requirements? It establishes the role and responsibility of, of LEAs when selecting and adopting instructional and the supplemental materials at each of those levels. Yeah, there was a, another item in the House budget that require. right currently we have restrictions of class sizes in K through third grade. And the House budget adds fourth and fifth grade to uh, reducing class sizes. Now, again, we're all for smaller class sizes, um, but as a standalone, you have to take a look at, do you have the space? Do you have the teachers? Because if you have smaller class sizes and you reduce those class sizes, well, then you do need more classrooms to put those the, the extra kids into. And if you have additional classrooms that are needed, with, uh, then you need more teachers. And as we've discussed, uh, it is very difficult to fill the more than 5,000 teacher vacancies that we currently have across the state. And the question is, if we, if they do indeed lower the class size, that would be, you know, for elementary schools that are K-5, um, every class will have a restriction. And there are many districts out there that are already uh, at full capacity. And um, so there's, it's just a double whammy. You know, you, you might just have a space issue or you might just have a lack of qualified teachers or both. Um, so that's one thing that uh, we're, we're keeping our eye on. Let's talk about teaching fellows. You know, I had several friends in school that, that are fellows and I'm glad to see this coming back. The Senate chose not to do what the House is doing in expanding the teaching fellows program um, so that a teacher in um, any subject can be uh, a fellow, not just uh, STEM classes. And fellows who teach in a low performing school get one year off, uh, off their loan paid for every six months they teach, where as right now, currently it's a year off their loan for each uh, year they teach. Uh, obviously, we, we, we like the house better on this one. And the Senate had some provisions that the house did not have. And one of those provisions um, makes changes to the State Board of Community Colleges and local board of trustees. And as you may or may not know, each local community college is governed by a board of trustees. And currently the local board of education elects four of those trustees and the governor appoints four. This provision removes the authority of a local board of education to elect and the governor to appoint members of the board of trustees. 
And now the General Assembly will appoint eight trustees and the Board of Commissioners of the county where the main campus is located will elect four. Got it. Yeah. And uh, just a few more items of difference. Uh, for AIG students, the which stands for uh, academically intellectually gifted. Thank you. The uh, Senate added five million dollars recurring. You know, there's only so much money to go around because the House and the Senate they agree at the very beginning that they're going to spend the same amount. Um, but the House put an, an additional twenty million dollars recurring um, into the small county allotment. So for the smallest counties, the House is giving an additional twenty million. Um, it, and, the, and the Senate provided some as well, just under five million. Um, but that was um, another difference. Was there anything else that you, either of you uh, noticed that you wanted to highlight when it comes to funding and you know differences? We have just so you know. I mean, the budgets are over six hundred pages. Right here, we have you know ten pages of differences. Um, but we, we want to be respectful of everyone's time. So another big item that people have been talking about, dominating some headlines in the media, the opportunity scholarships. Uh, both chambers are pushing universal vouchers. Uh, it, it's a little complicated in that both put it in their budgets, but both the House and Senate also have standalone bills. So while in the budgets, the Senate is taking a much more aggressive approach of um, pouring more money into the voucher program, where in this biennium, in this upcoming biennium, they're adding an additional 268 million, and when I say they, the, the Senate, uh, bringing the total for this upcoming biennium uh, to $636 million. With no accountability. Um, well, I, so the, the no accountability, it's interesting, yes. The House, because there's really very little accountability currently. This, the House is, in fact, removing any accountability in their budget. The, the Senate did not address that part, but... Rob, to your point, this is a whole lot of money for uh, a lack of accountability that doesn't come close to what we see in the public school units. They, they actually appropriate $27 million less dollars to the teacher salary schedule than they do to opportunity scholarships. They're putting more money to opportunity scholarships than the teacher salary schedule by $27 million. You know, um, the Office of State Budget and Management had a study showing that, that the um, opportunity scholarship program as funded would decrease total state funding for public schools by $203.8 million if only 50% of the new opportunity scholarship re recipients previously attended public school. 
Yeah, it's, I mean, I'm, tr- I'm trying to figure out how to put this in perspective where the numbers might make sense. By the time we reach 2032, 33, we're looking at more than $520 million a year going to the program, which means between now and then, if you were to add up the amount allocated each year, it is billions and billions of dollars uh, over the next eight, nine years uh, that will go towards this universal voucher program where no matter how much a household is earning, um, they can all receive public tax dollars for their private school education. You know, that, that is, well, I think, I think uh, as Forrest Gump has said, that's all I've got to say about that. Um, I'm trying to think, is there anything else uh, that you wanted to mention? It's worth pointing out next steps from here. You know, so the, the House budget, it obviously differs from the, the Senate's. And, and so now they'll have to have a conference committee. Yeah, that's a good, if I could just say, so yeah, what happened was the House sent their budget to the, the Senate. The Senate took that budget and reworked it and sent it back to the House, and the House did not concur. It was unanimous, and which means that, no, we don't agree with your changes. Um, and as Rob was saying, they, they, they go to conference where each, normally in a typical bill, with a typical bill, you might have three or four, they call them conferees, per bill, and they'll go and negotiate. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there are dozens, right, uh, that are conferees. Anyone who voted for their chamber's budget is likely a conferee. Um, are they going to be at the table uh, for all discussions? That's probably a handful of people. But, you know, conferees um, have an opportunity to provide input, and there will be uh, Democrats. Uh, that will be joining the majority party. I think there were in the Senate, what, seven, seven, seven Democrat senators voted for the, the Senate budget. And it's worth pointing out, I don't recall a state budget in the last at least 13 years uh, where the that number of Senate Democrats have voted to support the Senate budget. Um, that says something. Um, if nothing else, uh, those seven um, would like a, an opportunity to have some kind of seat at the table to have uh, their input uh, listened to. Well, and, and it, it also speaks to the importance of the expansion of Medicaid because because that's tied to the budget and we're not going to expand until a budget is passed. Yep. So back to our so as far as next steps, I'm thinking. Uh, I mean, I, I'm hearing that the goal 
uh, is to have a budget deal in place to um, release publicly uh, by mid-June. That's what I heard. You know, it, it's an aggressive timetable. Um, but That's the other thing. It's the quickest budget process overall I've seen in years. Yeah, probably since uh, 2011, 12 timeframe. Yeah. Um, and thank you to the team out there who is interested uh, in these uh, state budgets. Obviously, uh, the funding and the policies uh, will affect everyone uh, statewide, whether you're a parent, a grandparent, a child, um, you know, you're in the business community. Education is a key economic driver and uh, we will bring you um, the latest as new details come out and as a final budget is uh, sent to the governor. And once it's passed, I'm sure we will be providing you with another wonderful podcast. Take care, everybody. Bye, y'all. Thank you, Bruce Madison and Rob, for that insightful look at where the budget for the upcoming biennium is headed. We are hopeful that this process will be wrapped up before the fiscal year begins so that school districts know what they are working with for the upcoming school year. Have you ever heard the saying, if you're not at the table, then you're on the menu? Subscribe to this podcast to make sure you always have a seat at the table. If there's a topic you want us to cover in a future episode of The Board Table, let us know. You can find us on Twitter, at NCSBA, Facebook at NC School Boards Association, or email us at info at NCSBA.org. Until next time.